That first Easter night, as the disciples of Jesus huddled behind a locked door, I'm nearly certain they felt a little bit of shame, a lot of confusion, and were trying to figure out together how they would get back home to their family and friends, to their jobs, now that the one they'd been following, Jesus, was dead and gone. And it was in that moment, in that fear and uncertainty behind a locked door, where Jesus, we are told, appeared to them and offered them a way forward together. He showed the disciples first his wounds, the wounds in his hands and his side, nail wounds, the very marks of the forgiveness granted to them by his death. And then, much to their surprise, after granting them peace, twice giving them peace, he gives the most astonishing gift of all. In that locked room, amidst all that fear and uncertainty, he makes them the church. He breathed on them, the text tells us, and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. This is the only time this particular Greek word for breath is used in the New Testament It's the same word used to describe God breathing life into the first human beings back in the book of Genesis. The gift of the Holy Spirit is the gift of life, of new life. This short encounter is kind of a mini Pentecost. We usually wait till after the season of Easter. We put on our red outfits and we come to church to celebrate the gift of the Spirit. But this mini Pentecost, only a day or so after the resurrection, is a mini Pentecost that empowers the disciples to be the people they were created to be. People with the power they need to love and forgive. 24 years ago, Magic Johnson heard the words from his doctor that would change his life forever. Magic Johnson played basketball for the L.A. Lakers, was a superstar of superstars, And then he heard the two words, HIV positive. It was 1991 when he got this news, and there was still a huge stigma, a lot of fear surrounding HIV. A lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. But when Magic Johnson built up the courage to call his family to tell them the news, they didn't shame him or hang up on him or lock the doors to their houses or their hearts to keep, them, keep him out of their lives. Instead, when Magic Johnson told his family the news of his diagnosis, they booked plane tickets. This is how Magic Johnson remembers it. My mom hung up the phone with me and got on a plane to come out here. My dad got on a plane to come out here. My brothers and sisters got on planes to come and be with me. My aunts, my cousins, they were all getting on planes. That's love, that's support, he went on. And that makes a world of difference in how well you fight this awful virus. I know, I know, he said, that's a large part of why I'm still here today. When we think of Pentecost, we usually think about the story in Acts. Loud wind comes rushing in, little flames of fire dance on people's heads, and folks in the room are given the ability to speak in other languages, to hear and understand in different languages. It's it's an amazing, big, loud story. 
This text today from John, the other place where the disciples received the gift of the Holy Spirit, is a much more subdued story, but it's no less powerful. Like the Acts passage, it's also about sending the disciples out to share the good news of the gospel. But in today's passage, if we listen, we discover, we hear again the core, the heartbeat, the center of this good news. And it turns out that the good news we are called to share as followers of the risen Christ is not primarily about Jesus coming to us or dying for us or paying the price of our sins. It's about Jesus coming to us through our locked doors, right to where we are hiding with all of our fear and guilt and shame. It's right into that place where he comes and forgives us for everything. And then, here's the crazy part, after forgiving us, he entrusts us with his ministry of forgiveness. Forgiveness is the first act of the resurrected Christ, and it's his first command to us. Forgive as you have been forgiven. We have the power to forgive. The movie Concussion chronicles the discovery of the brain disease CTE by Dr. Bennett Omalu. It's a great movie, well worth your time. Netflix it, do what you have to do. It's a good good movie to see. Near the end of the movie, Dr. Omalu finally gets the chance he's been waiting for. Near the end of the movie, he finally gets the chance to speak to the league, the NFL, about the disease he discovered by chance that is threatening the game they love. This moment to speak before the NFL comes after a long battle with the NFL where Bennett was harassed, discredited, and ignored. As he stands at a podium in a locked room full of fearful NFL players, team doctors, widows, their children, and NFL executives, as he stands before those folks who are overwhelmed by the news he has to share, who are all feeling some sense of guilt, some sense of responsibility for the rise of this disease, for the death of their friends. As he stands before that group after years and years of struggle to get a place at the table, a spot in that room, he picks the strangest topic. He talks about forgiveness. I don't hate football, he opens with. My wife has started watching it. Through her eyes, I see the grace, the drama, the power of the game. I once said out loud to a group of people that I wished I never met Mike Webster. Mike Webster was the first player he identified with CT after Mike Webster came to his corner's table, unbeknownst to him. I once said I wished I'd never met Mike Webster. I was wrong. He was a committed man, a captain, a warrior, quiet in his pain. Mike Webster has given us a gift. It's the gift of knowing. In the place I come from, he went on, we take care of our warriors and give respect to those with the power to heal them. These men, they are not machines, not commodity, not video game figures. We loved them when we were heroes. By dying, they speak for us, the living, and I speak for them. That's what I do. And then he closes with this. Forgive them, he says. Forgive them, forgive yourselves, and be at peace. That sounds a lot like Jesus. 
I don't know when it happened. I don't know where we lost our way. I have my instincts, my hunches, but I'm not sure. But it often seems to me that the world outside these walls is a lot more forgiving than the world inside. You've probably heard the research. I think I've mentioned it before. But a substantial majority of millennials, of those folks much younger than me, who don't go to church, millennials who don't go to church, say that they see Christians as judgmental, 87%, hypocritical, 85%, anti-homosexual, 91%, and insensitive to other people, 70%. People out there, the future of the church, young people today, don't see us as particularly gracious or understanding or forgiving. And yet, that is exactly what we are empowered to be by the risen Christ. If we forgive the sins of any, he says, they are forgiven. If we retain the sins of any, they are retained. Did you hear that? We have the power to forgive. The Greek word for forgiveness used in today's passage also means to set free. To forgive someone is to set them free. Of course, we also know from experience that when we set someone free, we also set ourselves free from the judgment and the anger and the fear that enslaves us. Forgiveness and freedom go together, and we have the power to forgive. We have the power to set people free. That is what we are called to be about. And as theologian Lewis Meads once said, when you forgive, you set a prisoner free, and then you discover that the prisoner was you. In 1993, Hoshea Israel was a teenage gang member. One night at a party, he got into a fight with a friend that ended with him taking the life of another person, another teenage boy at the party, Oshia was sent to prison to pay for his crime. The mother of the boy who died that night at the party, her name is Mary Johnson. Twelve years after the trial that put Oshia Israel in jail, Mary Johnson went to visit Oshia at Stillwater Prison. She wanted to see if he was the same person he had been that night when he took her son's life. But of course, Oshia wasn't the same boy he was that night 12 years ago. He was a grown man now. And to her own surprise, Mary found herself talking to him about her son. When visiting hour was up, when it was time to go, Mary surprised herself. She broke down and began to cry uncontrollably. In their own words, from an interview on StoryCorps that was recorded after Oshia Israel was released from prison, the two of them discussed with the interviewer what happened next, what happened after she broke down. The initial thing to do, said O'Shea, was to just try and hold you up as best I can, just to hug you as if I would hug my own mother. After you left the room, after you left the room, Mary responded, I began to say to myself, I just hugged the man that murdered my son. I just hugged the man that murdered my son. 
And I instantly knew that all the anger and animosity, all the stuff I had in my heart for 12 years for you, I knew it was over, that I had totally, in that moment, forgiven you. Sometimes, said O'Shea, I still don't know how to take it because I haven't totally forgiven myself yet. It's something I'm learning from you, Mary. I won't say I've learned it yet because it's still a process, a process that I'm growing through. I treat you as I would my own son, said Mary. In our relationship, O'Shea, it is beyond belief. We live next door to one another, Mary said. We live next door to one another. Yeah, O'Shea said. So you can see what I'm doing, you know, firsthand. We actually bump into each other all the time going in and out of that house. Well, said Mary, my natural son is no longer here. I didn't see him graduate. Now you're going to college. I'll have the chance to see you graduate. I didn't see him get married. Hopefully one day I'll get to experience that with you. Just to hear you say those things, Mary, and for you to be in my life in the manner you are, it is my motivation. You still believe in me. And the fact that you can do it despite how much pain I have caused you, it, it's amazing to me. O'Shea, she said, I, I know it's not easy for you to share our story together. Even with us sitting here looking at each other right now, I know it's not easy. I so admire you that you can do this. I love you, lady, he said. And her response, I love you too, son. We have the power to forgive. Being a Christian, being a church, is not about being good or moral or righteous. It's about witnessing to Jesus by walking in his ways. And what Jesus came on earth to do was to share with everyone some really good news, some amazing life-transforming news of a God who loves us and forgives us. We have the power to forgive. I think way too often we see the Holy Spirit as a resource that gives the church a little pick-me-up that helps us better be better people, but I don't think that's the case at all. The Spirit came to empower us. Jesus breathed on us so we could do the really hard, life-transforming work of extending God's mercy to each and every one, just as it was extended, is extended to us. We have not only been forgiven, we have been empowered to forgive. Jesus was resurrected for a reason, and so are we. So I'll end with a simple question. Who right now in your life needs to experience the power of forgiveness? Who in your life right now needs to experience the power of forgiveness? Forgive them. Forgive them. And set them and you free. Amen.